0: Welcome to episode 99 with my guest, Jess. My name is Paul Martin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour. 90 minutes of honesty about all the battles in our heads, from medically diagnosed conditions and past traumas to everyday compulsive negative thinking. This show is not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. It's not a doctor's office. It's more like a waiting room full of conversations that you've always wanted to have, but you didn't know how to start. Or maybe you did. And you've had them. And you want to hear more of them. I don't know what your fucking story is. Quit pushing me. God damn it. 30 seconds in, you're breathing down my fucking... I think that might have been my fault. I have a couple of things that I want to... um, I have a favor to ask of you guys. I have two new surveys up that I'd like you to take. Um... The first one that I'd like you to take is a survey that um, potential sponsors will look at to see how connected you are to this podcast, how you feel about it, how you feel about me, uh, the level of honesty in the podcast, and some of your podcasting habits, and um, they don't collect any information on you. You're, they don't get your email, your IP ad- address, none of that. It's totally anonymous. But it would be a huge favor to me if you would go to the website and take that. If you have a great memory, I'll give you the uh, URL, and you can just go there directly. Uh, the URL for it is um, www. Why do, why do I need to say www. Http. The address is uh, the dot slash survey slash pod. Oh, there's no way you're going to remember that. So I'll say it again: themidroll.com dot slash survey slash pod. And um, yeah, that will um, that will help if you if, if enough people do that. That will uh, really help some uh, some sponsors to, uh, to come aboard and support the show and bring me closer to my dream of ruling the world. Oh, that went off the rails. The other survey that I have up that I'd love you to take, my friend Katie, who is getting her, uh, in the process of getting her license as a therapist, is um, doing a project for her schooling, and she has put a survey up on our website about people's experience in therapy, both as clients and as therapists. And it's a, it's a really cool survey, and you can see how other people respond as well, just like the uh, the other surveys that, uh, that we have up. So uh, go to the website and check that one out as well, and that one's called um, My First Day in Therapy, I think. I think it's called something like that. Um, all right, enough of my begging and groveling. I want to read you. Oh, this is an excerpt, in fact, from the uh, survey I was just telling you about, uh, filled out by, uh, well, I guess we don't, people don't list uh, names on this, but this was filled out by uh, a male in his 30s who was a therapy client. And what brought you to therapy? Uh, He writes, uh, to disclose secrets, discuss dysfunctional family and addictions. Uh, describe any fears you had associated with starting therapy, uh, he writes, fear of intimacy. Uh, of the fears you described in any of them come true, he writes, no. Uh, As a client, describe what worked best for you in therapy, and he writes, direct and strong comments and EMDR. Uh, I'm also a fan of EMDR, which means eye, which stands for eye movement, desensitization, desensitization and reprogramming. Um, as a client, what were your initial impressions of your therapist? Was there anything he or she did that was unsettling to you? And he writes, my current therapist playfully adjusts her long, beautiful hair throughout our session. It takes away from the session because now I wonder if she is sexually attracted to me. If this is this uh, subconscious flirting, question mark. I found that one interesting, and so I kind of wanted to read read that Um And the other thing that he said about therapy, he says, for, th- for me, therapy has been complete surrender. I am honest. And that is such a great way to approach therapy, is uh, to surrender to the process. And And I think it would be even okay to say to that therapist, when you play with your hair, it distracts me. And, um, and I just have to tell you that. And I hope that doesn't hurt your feelings. Um, I don't know if I could do that. But God bless you trying it. On a good day, I could get that, uh, that on. And the funny thing is, because I could tell, like, the darkest secret from my past, but that uh, hurting somebody's feelings, or possibly, and if, that, if they're a good therapist, they would want to know that they're doing something distracting. I, I would imagine that she's not conscious that she's playing with her hair, unless she's also masturbating, in which case, ding dong. This next email, oh, what an inappropriate segue. This next email is from a 14-year-old kid. Um, I have no control who, how old people are that listen to this podcast, but I have to tell you, I love when, when young people listen to it because um, there's a lot of shit that we talk about that I, I think I would have loved to have heard when I was uh, a 14-year-old. And uh, his name is Will. And he writes, Hi, Paul. I'm 14 years old and I've had depression for a while. I feel like I'm only happy when I'm with this girl I really like. I've got two problems about my depression. One, I haven't told my parents. I cut myself and I think about suicide all the time, but I can't seem to work up the courage to tell them about it. I know they will take it seriously and nothing bad can really come of it, but I just feel like I can't tell them. Only two of my closest friends know about my depression. And two, I feel like I don't have a right to be depressed. There's never been some traumatic experience like getting raped or something in my life. And my parents are nice and I have friends. I'm just very depressed nearly all the time, except when I'm with the previously mentioned girl. Can you offer some form of advice? And I wrote him back and I said, "Um, I think you should absolutely tell your parents. A good parent wants as much information as possible about their children so that they can decide better how to raise them. You having depression is a large piece of information, and if I were your parent, I would absolutely want to know. And we don't need any event from our past to have depression. My best friend's son, who was your age, came to them one day and told them that he suffers from depression. It brought them closer together as a family because they understood their son better, and it gave them a chance to support their son in a way that helped him ease his anxiety about his depression. And lastly, depression isn't a weakness or a failing. It's a lack of certain chemicals in the brain that makes us feel right or okay. It's no different than being diabetic. But instead of our pancreas having trouble making insulin, it's our brains having trouble making certain chemicals that allow us to feel good. It's nothing to be ashamed about. It's incredibly common and almost always treatable. But it can take some patience and definitely involve seeing a mental health professional for diagnosis and treatments. Let your parents love you, Will. They didn't have you so you could hide your problems from them. They had you so they could help you with them. You sound like an awesome kid. Now go fuck yourself. Oh, why did I do that? Why did I throw the 14-year-old under the bus? Because I'm not supposed to. And finally, I put a little fear... uh, blast out on on tumblr and people were listing some of their fears and this one i just had to to read because i just sit so fucking honest i love it um filled out by vincent and he writes i'm afraid that when i say i want to be a parent what i mean is i want to be a parent of a child whose needs i can adequately meet and who will be perfectly healthy and who will like me
2: every human being has weird thoughts going through their head
0: I'm here with Jess, who uh, I've known for a couple of years. We met through a, a support group, but you are also a uh, uh, did some, some stand-up comedy. Although we never, we never performed stand-up together. We just know each other from, uh, from support groups and mutual friends and stuff like that. But I've, uh, I've always been touched by your story and your honesty, and I'm really excited that you were willing to come be uh, a guest on this show. So thank you for being here.
2: Thank you for having me, Paul.
0: And uh where would be the best place to uh to start? <laughs> um
2: fears. <laughs> do you want to start with fears? Um,
0: I've never started with the, with the with the, <laughs> the the fear list, but we could do that.
2: Oh, well, let's just jump right in. Let's do it. Okay. You go first. <laughs> <laughs> Truth or dare? Um If you
0: could hold the mic a little closer to your mouth that would sure. be part.
2: All right. Uh well, um it was it was really interesting when you when you asked me to write uh, a list of fears and, and loves, or at least to think about it, um, the first thing that came up was doing a podcast, (laughs) um, a comedy (laughs) podcast. You know, I'm leaving, I'm moving away. Um, to Oakland and um, although
0: it's not a co- it's not a comedy podcast it's, it's even though I have comedians on it and I'm a comedian uh, yeah yeah no there oh. no pressure to be funny oh. at all no
2: well, well good because it's not gonna happen
0: yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but you know it was it, it is ironic because you know I, I did used to do stand-up and uh at least I tried <laughs> and you know I know a lot of people um that that have done stand-up and it's terrifying you know um to do stand-up doing stand-up is terrifying and walking away from it is terrifying because you know you you think that you have one identity you know and you're only given one identity and without that you know who, who the fuck are you you know and um and deciding to go back to graduate school and walk away from, you know, this city of industry where, you know, it, so many things came up. So many fears came up of, I- am I giving up on it? Was I never funny in the first place? You know, was it, you know...
0: Um, where does the truth lie? Will I ever know the right, truth?
2: Right, It It's just these bigger existential issues and questions that came up that you know, made me so much happier that I actually went into psychology, you know, because those are the things that were going through my mind that I now have learned to be able to sit with, you know? So when I when I left the industry and went back into graduate school for marriage and family therapy and, you know, the graduate school for that is basically... A, you're, people just go there to learn about themselves, you know. and help. <laughs> I'm glad
0: you said that, because I've always wondered. It's
2: true. Like, they're they're just total narcissists, and, and I'm one of them. And, you know, you go back and you learn about yourself, and then you help other people learn about themselves. Hopefully, that's what you're doing. There are a lot of people in my graduate school I would never send anyone to. They were just psychotic. But um, they... You know, going back there and realizing that that all of these fears are just big existential questions that you will never have the answer to. And how do you sit with that, you know?
0: I am afraid that there will always be another addiction to replace uh, an old one.
2: Yes. (laughs) (laughs) You have that,
0: too.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, because, you know, I think that all of these smaller, you know, nuances of addictions are all just part of the same existential fears. Yeah you know there is if it's not going to be eating it's going to be people if it's not going to be people it's going to be gambling and and so on until you can just sit with what is
0: I like to actually become a slave trader and gamble people <laughs> and combine them
2: <laughs> yeah there that would be a great movie um uh, i'm afraid i'm actually i'm a
0: stab 13
2: almost <laughs> Small children um I, I'm afraid that I will uh, get hit by a falling turtle. This is a, this is a genuine fear of mine. Mm-hmm. Be- what? Yes. Um, when I w- <laughs> Or something of the like. When I was in New Orleans, I was running uh, around Audubon Park, and I was about 18, and I had headphones on. That's how long ago it was, and, and a cassette player. And um, a turtle fell out of the sky and almost killed me. And, and and I thought I was seeing shit, and I was running. It, well, I had stopped, and the turtle smacked right in front of me on the ground and exploded, and I stopped, and everyone around me looked at me, and I knew I wasn't seeing shit, and what had happened was a pelican had been flying above us, circling, and wanted to crack the shell of the turtle, and so it had dropped the turtle, And I could have died by, if this turtle would have hit me in the head and it went, fell right in front of me. Wow. Yeah. And, and I told my girlfriends about that at the time and they said, if anyone were going to die that way, it would be you. (laughs) So I know that that I'm always afraid, like when I go to Griffith park and I'm like, you know, running Mm in Griffith park, I'm right next to a golf course. And it says, there's a sign that says errant balls, you know, Mm -hmm. like beware and, um, I balls have like scraped the side of my shirt like I w- it's some crazy way to die. I'm afraid to fly. It's funny
0: that 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 is the the way that you think you are special.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go out in a really great way. Like it's not going to be hopefully cancer or some boring shit like that.
0: It is it is funny how how our esteem, the the things that it will take on. Yeah, we can be special, but we're going to be special in a shitty way. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah.
0: I, I I totally get that. And I and I actually, when I was driving by Griffith Park uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, I saw this guy. It, it looked like this guy just. Aimed right at me, (laughs) and bounced the ball off the side of my car. There was two other guys standing there with him. Mm -hmm. It bounced off something else, and then and then Mm -hmm. it hit my car. But it was it was like in slow. I was like, that's not really coming at Mike. Oh my god! Yeah,
2: it totally is. Yeah, I I swear I I I was not seeing shit. I it was so incredible that this turtle fell from the sky.
0: That is one of the strangest things that I have ever heard. Yeah, yeah, how big of a turtle was it? It
2: was it was big. It was big because I I don't know where he grabbed him from. He probably grabbed him from the lake in the park, and 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 it was flying. The bird was flying above, so it, it was waiting. You know, for but everyone just stopped both ways coming in both directions. And even just, the
0: Neville brothers,
2: even <laughs> even Harry Connick Jr.
0: Oh my they, god, they all
2: stopped and. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was incredible.
0: Wow. Mm-hmm. All right. I am afraid that I will always need caffeine to function. Mm. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. I drink a lot of caffeine. My, my, uh, my fiance and I bought a caffeine machine, a, co- a coffee, espresso machine. Is that machine. what you call it? A caffeine machine. Yeah. Yes. We bought a, an espresso machine and we drank so much espresso that we had dehydrated ourselves and we didn't realize it. Like we were both tired and our eyes hurt and we couldn't figure out what was yeah. going on. <laughs> and,
0: and did you have a pain like in your lower left yes. side? Yes. I had that too. When Absolutely. I first got sober, I was drinking yeah. nine shots of espresso yeah. a day and I would lay down to uh, to go to sleep at night and it would just, I had this pain in like yeah. My, yeah. my lower in intestine. Yeah. 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 I totally get that. Yeah. Yeah. They should call coffee makers greet the world machines.
2: Well, there's there's research now from somebody that says that um, it's good for you. The In espresso. moderation. It, oh.
0: <laughs> What's that about? <laughs> What's that about? Uh, I, anybody yeah. out there that's having trouble sleeping, something I discovered, very often uh, I will need water, but even though you you don't feel thirsty. Mm-hmm. So the first thing I do if I'm having trouble sleeping, especially if I got that thing, that restless leg thing, yeah. I'll get up and I'll drink like eight ounces of water. Yeah. And almost always, 15 minutes later, I fall asleep.
2: Yeah, Alex really annoys me with that. He's always shoving a bottle of water in my face. I, I just, I I don't like the taste of water. How how do you, there's no taste. There's Yeah, I don't know. I guess, I, I, I don't know. I don't drink a lot of water. Or you're drinking
0: terrible water.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's gotta be, yeah. That's got to be it.
0: All right. My turn or your turn? It's uh, your turn.
2: Mine. I I I I get really scared of driving on the 101 at night. Um like long distances um my, The
0: 101 is a, a highway here in Southern California. Yeah. It yeah. Actually runs all the way up and down the it coast. It could be the if,
2: 101, the 405, the 202, like it doesn't it doesn't matter. Like I I get really scared at night driving on the highway because you do, you can't control anything. I mean, you can't control anything during the day, but at night there's that extra element of, like, are people tired? Are, you know... They drunk. Are they drunk? And
0: people seem creepier at night.
2: Yes. I am definitely creepier at night myself. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it is. It's it, When I was have been on road trips with people, I just get scared. And I get so shaky... That I start scaring myself because I'm shaking, and then I end up having to pull over on the side of the road. And it's it's really weird. I, is I, it a panic attack? It's not a panic attack, but it is enough panic to make me pull over. You know, like I, I'm not like heavy breathing or anything, but like, you know, just uh, it's that lack of control. Like I, I don't. And know. the
0: belief that you are a target for yeah. the universe's yeah. wrath.
2: Yes, yes. I am.
0: In the form of a turtle.
2: I almost got hit by a turtle.
0: Uh, I am afraid that I will make another bad business decision and suffer for it.
2: <sighs> Graduate school. I mean, you How know. How is that
0: a bad decision? <laughs> you're going to be a great psychologist. You know. I... You're you're an intern right now, right?
2: Yes. And, and, and I'd actually be a psychotherapist. Um, there's there's a legal difference. Um, what is the difference? The difference is a psychologist is the PhD. You have the ID. You have the you know you're a doctor, um, and you can do testing. You know I can test people to make sure that they're crazy. But um, psychotherapists are basically an marriage and family therapist is basically just talk therapy where it's, you know it's it's a lesser level. It's bullshit. It's you just get a degree. You know like it's just a degree difference. But
0: you have to do Hours and hours, three thousand hours to get licensed, yes, right? Yes. Or at least in California.
2: Yes, I've got eight hundred and twenty-five.
0: And that's with one person.
2: No, <laughs> that's just with my mother. Um, yeah, you know, I'm afraid that I just spent sixty thousand dollars, you know, and and that it's not going to be enough to have a stable home.
0: It's not going to have the, the 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 lucrative payback that stand up comedy <laughs> does. <laughs> <laughs> for
2: me, yeah, I don't think I made a dime ever doing stand-up or doing writing, um, and you know, not for lack of. Well, yes, I didn't. I, I didn't try as much as I, I could have because I was afraid. You know, I was afraid to put everything into it because what if I failed? And then, you know, naturally, because I didn't put enough into it, you I question. failed. And you question? And I yeah, and I and I it, it's.
0: You know, my take on that is the the amount of effort that you feel like putting into something mm-hmm. is usually indicative of whether or not that thing is meant for you mm-hmm. that's my feeling if something is really meant for you it, it isn't as doesn't feel like as much effort and so naturally you will be drawn to it and you will put time into it without questioning it
2: i don't know i i, I agree with you in one respect i also think that if you have enough fear in your body with something like, I mean, I think the comedy thing for me, it was such a big fear on so many levels, and it just, it froze me.
0: Well, it sounds to me like you weren't doing it out of love. You, you were doing it because you needed to be heard. Oh, absolutely. But it was in a way that was maybe not the most ideal form to be heard if it terrified you.
2: Well, I mean, th- but this is what pissed me off was that there were so many comics out there, even you know, relatively successful ones, that were doing it for the exact same reason. But they were doing it, you know, a- and I was. It was one of those things like, what does the world have against me, you know? And it was. It was so, you know. I heard uh, once uh, a mentor say to me, um, "You think you're so uniquely terminally unique, you know?" And it's like. I don't know. I how it's it's almost a self centeredness, you know, mm-hmm. of of um th- this fear. I think I think that fear is usually based in a self centeredness that
0: absolutely and and e- egotism can reveal itself in low self esteem. Mm-hmm. It's like I'm such a piece of shit. The world still revolves around mm-hmm. me, but I'm a piece of shit. Yeah, mm-hmm. I totally get that.
2: Yeah, I, I I don't know. Um, it's it's the same thing I've kind of got going on now with you know switching professions. It's, um am I going to fuck someone up as a therapist, you
0: know? Oh, that's ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, yes, there's that possibility, but from what I know about you in our support group and the time that we've spent together, I think you're going to make an awesome therapist. And I'm not I'm not just saying that. The last time I heard you in, in, a, in a support group talking about what was going on with you and where you've been and what you've been through, uh, I was just moved, just absolutely moved.
2: Yeah, I, I mean... I when I when I say that I don't really truly in my heart believe I'm going to fuck anyone up. I love that um, I can now hold all all sides of it in my head. You know, I can hold that part that says oh, I'm worried I'm going to fuck someone up, and then I can also hold the part that says, in reality, I'm not. You know, in reality, I'm going to be able to create a safe space for them. You know, um, it's what what I've learned myself over the years of you know my own recovery um is that there are you know there's nothing wrong with thinking insane thoughts it's what you do with them yes it's how you hold them it's it's you know it's how they how you react you know like i can think i want to go shoot someone you know because they it's it's these guttural animalistic thoughts you know but
0: yeah, and if you find yourself beginning to go to the gun store, then go, <laughs> then go get help. But everybody thinks, everybody walks down yeah. the sidewalk and yeah. thinks, what would it look like to see that person's head get lopped yes. off? Or yes. what would it feel like if I jumped in front of the bus right
2: now? Mm-hmm. Totally. I mean, I mean, that's, you know, I keep coming back to it, but that's the thing about this city is that uh, I think a lot of people deny these very Basic um, things that everyone thinks and feels. Absolutely. You know, and I think that's such a cause of the rash of insanity
1: Absolutely. in this city. You know,
2: yes. it's just like you're going to deny you have father issues and you're going to go out with someone three times your age, you know. And, and
0: eventually settle for your father.
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah totally. Like, literally. It's convenient. <laughs> go back
0: to you're, your father. You're, you're right there in the same living room. <laughs> You yeah. know each other's likes and dislikes.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, I think Is it Jim, my turn? Yeah.
0: My turn? Uh, I'm afraid that I will make enemies who will use things I've said on the podcast out of context to humiliate me.
2: Mm, that's quite a possibility.
0: I know. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I mean, that's, absolute, that's, a, that's a fear based in reality. I mean, I think a lot of the fears are based in some form of reality.
0: Yeah. You know? I, I have to trust the universe on that one. I really just I really just do.
2: <laughs> You'll be on TMZ before you know it. Um I am afraid um I'm afraid I'm afraid that people close to me will die. Like I um my my fiance Alex, he cycles at night. Um he starts at eight PM and goes to like eleven PM and every time he goes out, there's like a level of panic in my body, you know, because for so long, um I didn't allow myself love and I didn't allow myself what it felt like to feel secure and safe because I would always pick people that were so uh, just reenacted with me these these traumas you know and so now I'm finally with someone that loves me and I'm I'm just convinced it's gonna get taken away
0: you're waiting for the other shoe to drop
2: oh absolutely
0: maybe that's why sometimes there's a comfort in in Dating chaotic people. If we had a chaotic upbringing, is the shoe's already dropping? So there's no waiting for it.
2: Yeah. Not only is the shoe already dropping, we're making sure it drops because we're picking um, people that you know will reenact. And it, it is a very scripted play, you know. And and if you don't fit the script, then we just move on to someone else. It's amazing that I dated, I used to say that I was dating like that, that character from He-Man that would just have the head that would spin around and be different people. And it was the same body, but it was just different personality different, different faces of the same personality, you know? And, um, and with Alex, it's just, it's so, um, unnerving sometimes because he just is so solid. I mean, he is not, I'm not idealizing him. He's just a solid person, you know? and that brings up all the fears of uh, what's,
0: what's hiding what's lurking underneath
2: what's hiding i don't deserve it it's not going to happen it's going to go away you know all of it that's so. great
0: though that you get to work through that then yeah you know somebody said one time that a relationship is really at its basis is a mirror for how we see ourselves mm-hmm. you know that that we're, we're forced to look at ourselves
2: yeah, it was incredibly painful at first you know i, I it was It was so hard for me. There was a a spot between my my stove and my uh, in my kitchen and my sink, and I would just lay down there while we were when we first started dating. I would just lay by myself um, in between dates and cry, because there's like an imprint on the floor. I'm sure, you know, like because I couldn't sit with the discomfort of not going through that same pattern again of of um of of addiction.
0: Was it was it the unknown of what is this? I've never been with a person like yeah. this before. Yeah. What is going to happen? It's, yeah. I, I need an answer.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's, you know, it's, it, it. that's exactly what I brought up was uh, somebody, please tell me what happens next. Yeah. You know, um, I was in my therapist's office a couple of um, weeks ago, sobbing because my life is really great. And I just want to make sure that nothing bad is going to happen. This is this shoe dropping. Like I, it's, it's driving me crazy. And, as much as I wanted her to, she couldn't tell me nothing was going to happen, you know, because something inevitably is going to happen. But I, I, how do I sit with it, you know?
0: And and the chances that it's going to be as tragic as your darkness makes it out to be
2: mm-hmm.
0: is probably not true.
2: Well, th- I mean... Or that it's
0: insurmountable mm-hmm. the I way mean, your darkness yeah. paints it.
2: I mean, the thing is, the, the I think my biggest fear is the fear of having fear. You know, like, it's the fear of fear that that really trips me up and freezes me, you know. But if I really think about what it is, okay, I'm afraid of dying. All right. What happens if I die? I'm dead, you know. So what is there to worry about?
0: Yeah, somebody's going to sort through my CDs. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Pema Chodron has a great book about uh, uh, that very thing called When Things Fall Apart. And the mm-hmm. only issue that I have with it is uh, she talks about... Um, hope in a way that kind of makes me uncomfortable because she talks about it's good to get to a place of hopelessness and i i don't like that especially in terms of talking about people when they're dealing with depression because i do think there there is the need to know that there's a chance that things can get better um i think when you're talking with somebody uh who who is suffering from depression um saying be comfortable with hopelessness i don't think i don't think that's that's healthy i i like to say i would like to replace the word hopelessness with uh expectations get rid of expectations Mm. um and i think buddhism is a great way to deal with that exact thing that you are talking about which is to be comfortable with whatever is in the moment and whatever will be in the future and and to To learn to live a more simple life and pare down our expectations Mm -hmm. and then that makes us more flexible and fluid and able to deal with whatever life throws at us because we don't have these fixed ideas of what is good and what is bad.
2: Yeah I mean I would say um, I don't know the word expectations is triggering to me just because I remember you know when I was younger and and I would always say oh I don't have any expectations and the truth was I did you know I always had expectations um, of people and of me and I would say what I do is like when I, when I was hopeless, the only way that I, I could get out of it, you know, I mean, it, of course I went into therapy, you know, and I don't know, it, it may not be right for everybody, you know, but for me, I, I went into intensive therapy. I I'm talking like four days a week for almost three years. You wow. Know? Yeah. And then three days a week for two years. And then, you know, I'm still with the same person. We have two sessions left after eight years, um, before I move. Um, And what helped me was to say, and then what, you know, like, okay, this is going to happen. Okay. And then what, and then just go through, instead of cutting off the narrative when you're all worked up, just go through it to the end.
0: Yes. Pulling the thread. I call that. Yeah. You know, I'm afraid of, of going out and meeting friends for drinks. Okay, uh, what are you afraid of? Well, I'm afraid that the, the conversation is going to be awkward. Okay, it's awkward. Then what? <laughs> then there's a silence. Okay, mm-hmm. then what? Mm-hmm. Then uh, I'm afraid that one of them is going to think I'm boring and leave and not be my friend. Okay, then what? Uh, okay, then I have one less friend. Okay, then what? <laughs> and just keep doing that, yep. and then you begin to see the insanity uh, of, of, and, and how you blow things up in your mind. I, I think that is an awesome, awesome tool.
2: Yeah. Uh, I'm,
0: glad you, I'm glad you mentioned that. Did I cut you off no okay uh whose, whose turn is it
2: um, oh jeez uh, yeah I guess I could go uh i 'm afraid that i 've made the wrong decision getting married, and i i don 't <laughs> i hope alex doesn 't get upset at this one yeah. um, you know it's it 's not i 'm not saying uh, i 'm afraid it's he 's not the right one uh, i 'm saying you know with the odds stacked against you, you know like it all ends in divorce uh, 50, over fifty percent and You know, and the truth is that, like, when we say our vows, I'm pretty sure we're going to say one day at a time, you know, like, um, because we don't know, you know, and making this decision, I feel really solid in who I am. I feel solid with who he is. And that's the best we can do, you know, and... and my my parents' marriage exploded. Uh, his parents have been together for thirty something years.
0: Your parents were married on the shuttle Challenger, though.
2: <laughs> they were. They actually met when they were thirteen in Temple. Um, really? Yeah. They were. They were like the Hatfields and the McCoys. They were like sitting. My mother was two rows in front of my father, and they hated each other, the the two families. And so obviously my parents would meet and get married, you know, despite everyone and and. Um, then divorce. But uh, yeah, it was amazing. So, um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think everyone has that question. I think, you know, what I've realized is um, planning a wedding and, and getting married is that people fucking lie about marriage and weddings. They say it's the best time of your life. It's so exciting. And, you know, oh, I've just, I'm so in love with it. And the truth is there's a lot of ambivalence. I mean, maybe I'm the only one. I doubt that. I'm terrified to get married. It's a huge decision, you know, and I think if you go into it So concerned over what the dress looks like as opposed to what it's like to live with another human being in the house You know And what
0: it's like to have sex with somebody who part of you is resentful at that's the biggest That's to me is the biggest thing to deal with in marriage Because if we if we talked about every single thing that the other person did that bothered us um, There would be probably very little time To get things done because we're I think most people are kind of neurotic and and get easily rubbed the wrong way I (laughs) do and and Intimacy to me is being able to be okay and accept that person and it Ultimately is about you being okay with yourself first so that you can accept that other person because if you're uncomfortable with yourself Accepting somebody else's flaws are fucking impossible mm-hmm. So it's like you have to do work on yourself to then be comfortable To have that intimacy and to have sex with somebody and to have it not feel false.
2: Yeah, I mean well, you know, I um For so many years I was with so many people that uh god that sounded awful <laughs> For so many years I was with like thousands of guys um But, you know, I I dated one person after another that they were so toxic for me. So then to be paired with someone now and to be getting married and to be intimate physically with someone that actually is present and that loves me and that cares for me has been incredibly challenging. You know, like um, the the, for me, you know, the physical intimacy has been really hard to deal with because um, I didn't know what it was like to be physically touched by someone that cared you know I didn't know that felt foreign to me that felt foreign what did it
0: feel like the first time
2: it felt like um emotional rape like I'm dead serious it, it felt like um who so invasive you know because um, it was uh, I was making myself vulnerable to someone who wasn't going to play the role of you know wasn't going to stick to the script you know and what do i do now you know um
0: and they weren't going to stay in the yard they wanted to come in the house right and it's like right Ooh.
2: yeah i mean because i would you know i knew the script the script was you know we we're together we have sex you take off or i take off you know What what do I say to someone after you know when they're still there and they want to be there the next morning? You know, and And how
0: do I deal with the feeling inside me? That's telling me something must be wrong with them
2: Yeah, oh, oh, yeah something was wrong with them And then you know, there is that reflective mirror of oh my god something's wrong with me, you know, because when you're when when I was dating toxic people i didn't have to look at my own issues because i was so focused on what was wrong with them that guy's an asshole that guy's uh you know uh self-centered that guy doesn't give a shit about me but when i'm dating someone that does care about me all my shit comes up (laughs) you know and then i then i get really scared you know because what if they see that you know um yeah your turn
0: I am afraid that uh, I will hit a wall with this show and no longer enjoy it.
2: Then stop. You know, I mean, then then, if, if, if you hit a wall and no longer enjoy it, just like you transitioned out of comedy uh, and transitioned into this, it's, you know, it's... Of course, it's easier for me to say it to you than for me to think of it for myself, you know, but it's like that's what it is that life is evolving just evolve into something else you know um i i think you should get back to wood making because i think you're amazing at it you should you should see this living room we're in where he made everything it's gorgeous um
0: you know actually one of the things i want i want to do is the is the desire to get in the wood shop kind of slowly comes back i i do um want to to think about maybe making little things and and selling them Mm um maybe through the the Show's website, so I I might I might do that, and that might help. Uh,
2: yeah, you should check out Etsy.
0: Bring some. I did do Etsy uh, like a year and a half ago, and mm-hmm. nobody bought anything, and I couldn't bear to even log on anymore, and then my account got canceled.
2: Ugh, oh, yuck. So there's that shame. <laughs> <laughs> then there's then there's that.
0: Yeah, but go ahead. Your uh, your fear now.
2: Oh um, let's see. I'm afraid of flying. Um, in planes, I have to get heavily sedated as opposed to, <laughs> as opposed to swimming in planes. Yeah. Um, I have to get heavily sedated to, to get on a plane, um, to the point where sometimes it's really annoying to the people that pick me up. Cause I'm like fucked up for like the next day and a half. I just went to New York and for, a, I was so hungover for like a day and I'm, I don't, I, I just don't like doing drugs. It's not like a big, uh, I hardly even drink, you know. So for me to put, you know, a couple milligrams of lorazepam in my system, I'm like totally gone, you know.
0: I can't wait to, when we talk about your childhood, get into why you feel the need for control. Because oh. that just keeps coming up over and over again, mm-hmm. and all those things is just a mm-hmm. fear of letting go. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh,
0: I am afraid that I will run out of fears and loves uh, for these segments.
2: Uh, um. Then you will not be alive. You know, I mean, if you don't have fear in love, then you're not living and breathing.
0: But I've done probably 300 fears on this show. Mm-hmm. And it's like, there has to be, do I have an infinite number of fears?
2: So start lying.
0: <laughs> I, to I guess I'll, I'll probably just at some point begin repeating or it'll be variations on, on some of them. But I, uh, I guess my fear is that my portion of the fear and love segment will begin begin to sound stale or repetitive. Yeah. But sometimes I, I I'll read listeners and that helps uh, kind of bolster it instead of uh, instead of mine. I'll read a listener's fears. Yeah, else. outsource. Yeah, that's right. Your turn.
2: Um, I'm afraid my sister will lose her kids. She's um, she is um an ex meth addict, and um, got pregnant. Um, about five years ago has has twin girls and then also has a a little son and you know she uh, is it completely in the california welfare system and if anything happens um you know if any slip she could lose her kids and and there's nothing that i could do about it i can't take the kids you know i'm not equipped for that and you know it's just it's control it's another thing of like just you know i i i have survivor's guilt with her because we grew up in the same home that was extremely chaotic and and emotionally abusive and i somehow thrived um and i feel like she just kind of went down with the ship and she's been pulling up for you know a raft ever since
0: yeah that's got to be painful Mm -hmm. uh i'm afraid that nobody will ever see the really funny dirty outtakes from dinner in a movie (laughs) i'm telling you there is reels and reels of filthy really funny shit that we did on that show that i'm just afraid that somebody is going to erase or throw away or never see because i feel like if that stuff ever got put up on the web a lot of people would really enjoy it
2: why not why don't you go to them and say i have
0: I have. And they're like, well, you don't have the resources. We'd have to get a budget to get somebody to, to do it, etc., etc., etc. Oh, et God, you should
2: take donations. Yeah. Um, that, that would be amazing. That would be amazing. I don't know why, but when you said that, I thought about what it would be like to get the outtakes from I Love Lucy. Oh yeah, like the dirty. Na- I mean, there's Jeff-
0: a reel going around of Don Rickles outtakes from the shows that he did. That is supposedly <laughs> just hilarious, you know, because he would oh. flub a line and then just unload on somebody. And uh, oh. yeah, it's supposed to be That's supposed amazing. to be pretty fantastic.
2: Yeah, I just love that the inevit- inevitability inevitability of. Um, of all of these uh, idealized people in the media that are so fucked up. I don't know why people would want to be um, famous anymore because they'll just follow you around and tear you apart.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Um, Is it me or you? I think you. Uh,
0: I'm afraid. Oh, no, I just did that one. It was the uh, outtakes. From uh, I'm afraid nobody will oh. ever see the really funny, dirty outtakes from Dinner in a Movie.
2: Um, I don't know if I. Uh, Are you done? I think I'm done.
0: Okay, um, then we'll we'll get into the interview part, and then we'll we'll do our loves uh, later. Um, so tell me about the the childhood you grew up. You grew up in Oakland. How many? Um, no, no. San Francisco, New Orleans, New Orleans. Oh, but you lived uh, up in, in yeah, the Bay Area in the for a Area. long time. Yeah,
2: I lived. Um. I, l- I grew up. I was born and raised in New Orleans, Louisiana, and uh, then at about ten years old, uh, moved to San Francisco. Um, stayed there for a few years, and then moved back to New Orleans. Okay. And went to junior high. Well, high. because
0: one of the one of the things from your story, I remember you telling me about happened in san francisco mm-hmm. and that made an indelible impression on mm. me and we'll get to that mm-hmm. that uh the, absolutely that, that person that you were dating <laughs> quote dating right, right. um so so tell me what was uh, your childhood in, in in new orleans like
2: well um i don't really have a memory of my mother before the age of six um i from what i am told from her and my my grandparents um she was uh, a coke addict and you know was pregnant with me when she was doing coke and then was sent to rehab and then sent back to rehab and i was with my father and my sister so it was the three of us and um he was in law school and um
0: you were born in the when oh
2: 1979
0: okay i was gonna say late 70s isn't
2: that yeah. awesome? I was yeah. born in the 70s. Yeah. Um, I looked it up, and the, the song uh, that I was, the week I was born, the song that was the top song um, on the billboard was um, uh, Herp Albert, um, Rise. And then I looked nine months before to what they were listening to, like when they did it, and it was uh, La Freak. <laughs> and i was like is that the name of the song i think it is it was amazing i was like okay
0: <laughs> let
2: freak say she yeah totally it was it was awesome uh so yeah you know um uh it was a really nasty divorce i mean just awful my dad had just gotten his uh law degree and i uh, i guess in an attempt to flaunt it i don't know um but he he wanted uh, custody of my sister and i um and both of them had remarried, and he actually um, accused my my stepfather uh, I was about six years old, and he accused my stepfather of molesting my sister and i um, and he had um, he sent in the police um, and uh, it was false it was a false accusation and um
0: that, was, that is one of the fucking cruelest things any human being yeah. can do mm-hmm
2: yeah no it it i mean and i will i will say that to this day um i still have nightmares of possibly being molested you know i mean that's how cruel it is is that um i mean and not just not just cruel but that's how uh, twisted a mind can get when you're vindictive. yeah i mean children, um, and I know this from studying it now, you know, children have this ability to create uh, false memories, you know, really easily. And um, I remember being brought into the judge's chambers and made to touch a puppet. And, and, you know, all the charges were dropped. But whenever to this day, if I'm having an intimate moment with my fiance, there's a chance that that night, I will have a dream of my stepfather um, wanting to come into my bedroom. And it, it's just so unfair. It's so unfair, you know. To both of you. To both of us, because he passed away in Katrina. Um, oh, no. Yeah, yeah, he he did. Um, it was really interesting. Were you close with him? Uh, I was. He was the first person that I had ever really trusted. And then, unfortunately, <laughs> when I was 21 and I was living back in San Francisco, um, my wallet was stolen and I went to check my credit report and I found out that he, my stepfather had actually stolen my identity and, um, charged about $10,000 in three different credit cards, um, in my name. And, um, uh, I called him and we talked about it and he sent me a letter of apology and we worked with my aunt to, to square it all away. And, um, And I was so grateful that I just, I just knew looking at that, I knew that he had a major spending problem and that it wasn't, I didn't take it personally. He lived a very chaotic life. Um, he wasn't able to manage his life. A lot of it was a lie and I knew it from growing up, um,
0: well, he picked your mom. So, I mean, that's the first
2: <laughs> My mom's not as evil as a uh,
0: No, no, no. I'm not saying she's evil, but she was a a, a coke addict. You, and 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 he picked her. Anybody that picks uh Well, he um, was a
2: dealer, so. Yeah, okay. There, yeah, there we go.
0: <laughs> but there's a sickness. Yeah, I you know, there I don't think there's anybody really, that that we've talked about on this podcast, that, that we've labeled as evil. Yeah. You know, we, I like to think of people just as in various stages of sickness or recovery.
2: Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, the things that are done can have evil qualities, but I don't think that people inherently are. And so when I found that out, that he had stolen my identity, I... I was just devastated because he was the first person, the first man that I had ever trusted and it took so long to trust him after I wouldn't sit next to him for three, four, five years um, until I was about 12 years old um, because I just felt skeevy around him because, because of the allegations. Because of the allegations, and
0: then you get to let him in, and then this yep. happens. No wonder you have a need for control. Yeah, and you're waiting for the other shoe to drop.
2: Right, right. No, I mean, I, I mean, we were best friends. We were best. I mean, when when I finally connected with him, my mother would get jealous because you know I was so close to him and I needed him so badly, and so when I found this out, I was just devastated and i but i knew in my heart i my gut intrinsically that um it wasn't malicious you know so i just said let's just fucking clear this up and get this over with and i i just i just forgave him without even thinking you know and i just forgave him and um thank god i did because then a couple uh, years later he passed away in katrina wow Mm -hmm. yeah
0: i'm so sorry to hear that that uh did you know many people that passed away in Katrina, or was he the only person? Uh,
2: he was the only person I knew that passed away. Um, almost everyone was displaced in my family. Um, everyone was, actually. Um, you know, there was a. There was a, I mean...
0: Do you know the circumstances of his death in Katrina?
2: Yeah. Um,
0: Are you comfortable talking about it?
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, um, I get kind of defensive about it because, you know, a lot of people would consider him uh, not a direct result of death. Um, what happened was, you know, there's so many people in New Orleans, a very high population that live a very extravagant lifestyle, um, like drinking and eating, you know. So if you couple that with a catastrophe, um, there's going to be a lot of heart attacks, mm-hmm. you know. And that's exactly what happened. He he waited. He was one of those people that, like, you know, you saw the footage of him knocking on the door and like, I'm not leaving my house, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and he was one of them. Bless his heart. And, and he waited to the last minute and then went to um, college town, Texas um and uh had a heart attack and died.
1: Wow.
2: Yeah. 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 And, uh, and, you know, um I don't know. I just get really defensive when they say that, you know, he didn't die in Katrina because he wasn't swept away, you know, but I think there was a whole level of people that, that when, had- you,
0: when you lose all your shit and you're displaced. Yeah. Yeah. That that's.
2: Mm-hmm. at the
0: very least related
2: right right
0: you know yeah um so your your parents split up they had this ugly divorce mm-hmm. um and who who got custody of you your mom and your dad was trying to get it back and that's why the 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 things were were
2: no, my dad always had custody of us, but he wanted to maintain custody when she got sober. Um, and um, so that's why he filed for full custody.
0: And that's why he l- loved, uh, laid those charges out about your stepfather.
2: Yeah, he, he laid those charges. He got full custody. And then promptly, when my sister and I bo- each turned 10, sent us away back to go live with them. Um Because he remarried and had uh, a couple of more kids. And, you know, the house was getting small. We weren't getting along with his wife, you know, and uh, he chose that, you know, and and then flipped it. I mean, he made our lives so incredibly uncomfortable that I had developed um, like acute OCD, like on and off light turning. I actually I was so distressed at one point about age nine or ten that I started making myself throw up every night to go to sleep because there was no other way I could relax my body. until um, one night I threw up blood. And um, I, I knew that if I didn't leave, uh, I was gonna die. Like something was gonna happen, something bad was gonna happen. So I, uh, I went into my father's room and I, I said, can I please talk to you? And he said, anything you say in front of me, you can say in front of my wife, you know? And uh, I knew what his answer would be when I said, I wanna go live with my mother you know um and then he flipped it on me what and he, did he
0: say he
2: well he cried and he said um if that's what you really want you know um but it was it was what he really wanted and um uh and and he he always said you made that decision you know <laughs> and the truth is that i don't think 10 year olds have that capacity you know i think i think that they have wants and needs and um and he really forced us out and um
0: when you said say that he made things uncomfortable for you mm-hmm. wh- how can you give me some examples
2: sure um well it, it was very obvious uh the the level of um, the different levels of um Importance, you know, um, there was his wife and his wife's kids, and then his kids with his wife, and then my sister
0: and I. God, I hear this over and over again with with stepkids, where the parent will just kind of assign Mm -hmm. their kids this lower Mm -hmm. level. There's this power.
2: Well, in my opinion it was it, it's the threat of him not getting the love he needs from his wife and willing to sacrifice his children for it. You know, like a, a, an instance of it was um we all went to the beach one day and um my my stepmother her daughter had made sandwiches for her and her daughter with the cu- uh, the sides cut off and all these other things and didn't even make any for my sister and I. Like we had no sandwich. You know, and my, my aunt, my father's sister was like, where, where is their food? You know? And we, we were just not even considered, you know? Wow. Yeah. It's like that level, um, you know, and it was just, you know, I think, um, it was just very apparent that like, it was always said, my wife, my wife, you know, like pr- prizing this person, you know, and having no, hardly any value to us, you know? Yeah. No. Yeah
0: and you can feel at that age you know there's just all kinds of little nonverbal cues and there's kids pick up so much without stuff being said oh yeah eye contact physical affection mm-hmm.
2: well, i work with children you know i know um how much they know you know i see it all the time when if you scold a child you can see it in their eyes their brain kind of tickering away like what's going on here what did i do it's about me it's about me it's about me you know
0: so, yeah yeah um so then you go live with your mom mm-hmm. and did your sister come with you
2: uh, my sister went first because she went, turned 10 first she's a couple years older than me so she went to go live uh, with my mother and stepfather and then i moved out there when i was 10 and my my father actually threatened uh, my stepmother's child once because she was being bad that she was going to be sent to go live with my mother and stepfather, which I thought was funny because she doesn't know them. Um, (laughs) so yeah, I went to, I moved to San Francisco. Um, and you know, I was just, I was a miserable child. I was, I was throwing up every night still. Um, and, um, I had no friends. I had no capa- no ability to make friends. I, I had never had a friend in my life. I didn't have a friend until I was a sophomore in high school. Um, that's I, I just didn't allow people near me, and um, so then I uh, I joined up at my brother was and sister were already going to this karate school, um, and it was the first time um, I had experienced value. Because I would go to this karate school and people thought I, you know, it was cute. There was like this little kid, you know, I was 11 or 11 years old, 10 or 11, and I was doing karate and I was really thriving in it. And I was like getting up there in the belts and going to tournaments. And, um, at the karate studio, there were just, you know, um, the karate studio was made up, the majority were men, older men, like twenties, thirties.
0: I don't like where this is going.
2: You're not going to, um. So 20s, 30s, there was one woman there that was the wife of the main guy and I just, I idealized her. I mean, she was so cool to me. Um, I, I found out later on she was actually a victim of domestic violence from the main guy. Um, so I started hanging out every day, you know, it was the only sense of, um, I felt like a family with these people. They cared about me all the while kind of realizing that there was an element uh, a little off there you know there was um a lot of these older men were very you know like clients would come in like customers uh, karate people would come in and they would be very flirtatious they'd be very sexual you know be saying sexual things in the in the office after these women would leave and uh there were things called private lessons you know where like you would go in the back and like do a karate lesson. So I'm working there, you know, I'm there like six days a week, you know, uh, I'm cleaning the floors, cleaning the windows, you know, I become like the mascot. And um, then I get like to a certain level and I start I start teaching private lessons, you know, which would be to the adults. I would teach them, I'm 11 at this point and I, I'm teaching them the basics of karate, you know, and, um, you know, uh, all the while, I'm discovering because I'm eleven or twelve, I'm discovering my sexuality. You know, I'm discovering like, oh, I can get attention. I can get attention if I, you know, maybe wear a small shirt underneath my karate uniform or, you know, it it was the only form of attention that I've ever really received, so I just went for it, you know, and I, I played up the idea of being the leader and and the truth is that if you uh challenge enough men, you know, uh odds are that uh one will bite you know and,
0: and 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 I think probably those men don't realize that the 12 year old you has a really innocent idea of what sex and flirtation is mm-hmm. that she doesn't know what she's getting into she doesn't know what kind of a trap she's setting mm-hmm. she, she doesn't know what she's going to catch she thinks she's going to get attention and maybe a little bit. I mean, you weren't hoping to 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 become sexual with these people, were you? You just wanted. Well, I think this is
2: this is where it gets really really shady, you know. And this is where a lot of people that might be listening might get upset, you know, because I I I still hold to the belief that um, when I was that young, I absolutely wanted to be sexual and I absolutely um knew what I was doing because uh I I was I just learned so early how to manipulate the situation because I needed to just survive you know I needed to know how to read people and I needed to know how to work people and if that meant I was going to get attention and survive because I was being seen you know, it doesn't matter how I was being seen. If I was being seen, I was going to survive. So, if it meant I was going to be sexual or be, um, you know, overtly sexual to 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 these older men, fine.
0: But but my point too, Jess is that a twelve-year-old's version of what being sexual is going to encompass is different than a, than an adult who has already lived and experienced that knows. And so, that child still, even though they may want that thing. Is still that adult should know that and see that and not engage that because they know that that child doesn't know what they're getting into.
2: Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's I mean, that I agree with. You know, years into my own recovery, I had a friend of mine say to me once, uh, All right, Jess, I want you to go on the internet right now and I want you to find one 12 year old boy, one that you find attractive. One you know and as soon as she said that i realized i was looking through it from a an older person's eyes it it's insane you know and um you know i just like i said you know you 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 play the odds enough you know and and, and the person that uh i ended up um having you know these intimate relations with you know he was a 27 year old, um, ex Marine and, um, God only knows what he had been through and what he had seen and what he had done already, you know, overseas. Um, he w- went to the first Gulf war and, um, and so he came in as a, a, a student. I, I was teaching him and, you know, over the next year and a half, um, we started spending time together. And this, the the part that always got me was that my mother and stepfather had no problem with, um, me spending time as much as I did there. And that's the
0: part that, makes my (laughs) fucking jaw drop when you talked about when you told the story of him coming to pick you up for a fucking date (laughs) and your mom and stepdad signing Mm -hmm. off on that
2: well my stepdad was already back in new orleans and my mother um my mother at that time was uh then into i'm pretty sure she was into pill addiction at that time um and also when i asked her about it she said if i had any idea you know or All I knew is that you were happy. That's the only time you were happy, you know, and um, and for that, I just need to let that go. You know, Um, it was um, I, I, I don't know, you know, it's really I swear it felt like it felt like what I thought dating would be. You know, I would go and I'd spend hours there with I'm, him.
0: I'm, I'm sure the attention was electric because mm-hmm. not only was it attention from a, a guy, it was a, a attention from a 27 year old mm-hmm. guy, which has got to explode mm-hmm. a 12 year old's ego. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, it was. It was pretty. It was pretty wild. Um, you know, we never um, had actual sex. We had, uh, well, you know, um, full on sex. We had. Um, different forms. And um, yeah, you know, it it was, I I really, in a 12-year-old's mind, we were dating.
0: What was, what were the sexual experiences like for you in terms of what you thought they were going to be? Were they fulfilling? Were they confusing? Were they good and bad? Was it all bad? What, what?
2: It was pretty um spot on of what I thought it would be. It was it was I mean I t- to be honest it was fulfilling, you know. I I never did anything to him. It was all him, you know. It was it, it was um you know it, it, I'm amazed that no one at the studio knew. You know, everyone claims they didn't know, you know, but there was someone living with him at the time, another teacher at the studio, and how he didn't know I, is beyond me, you know, because I would be spending the whole day on the weekends there you know
0: that that boggles my mind
2: yeah yeah there was a lot of it, it was really super shady um but you know so fast forward you know we go back we we have this final date the one you're speaking of where he picks me up and um gives my mom my mom a bottle of uh, wine or champagne or something and me a arose and we go on a date um and then i move back to new orleans and then um uh
0: and were you when you moved back to new orleans were you sorry to not see him anymore i was devastated
2: i was devastated because you know not only was i being taken away from the one place that i felt like was a home as, as twisted as it was you know uh i was i was already fully uh, addicted to this person you know this was a man that pleased me on a level i had never been pleased and also you know was giving me this attention and what was i going to do without him you know it was a total setup for the rest of you know my relationships and so when i found you know when i found that we were moving i was devastated and um when we did move i i just flipped out you know and i i i remembered the when things started changing for the worse because um I I made him a necklace and I sent it to him and I I called him and I say, "Hey, did you did you get the necklace?" And he he said, "Oh, yeah, your cute little necklace. Yeah, it broke in the mail." You know, and I realized at that point he was treating me like a kid cuz he hadn't treated me like a kid before. And um,
0: cuz he wanted something from you.
2: Yeah. And so I I started I felt so out of control of the situation. And uh, I tried to regain control the only way I could, which was I told uh, a friend of my mother's how upset I was. Now, you know, when f- the friend of your mother's is a heroin addict, um, always, she-
0: always the best person to go to.
2: Always, always. Well, for one,
0: you know that they're going to react calmly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no,
2: she. I mean, like, not a good person to keep a secret. So she goes to my mother, and then it becomes like a domino effect. My mother calls California. I'm finding out and I'm just finding things out through hearsay. I'm afraid to ask anyone, you know, and all of a sudden my mother's so upset, you know, my mother's just like, how could this happen? How could you do this to my baby? You know, all these things. And, you know, in my opinion, it was just like this embarrassment of like, how could people find out, you know, that I, that I had fucked up as a mother. So, um, what I'm hearing from the grapevine is that this person, this man that I had been involved with, uh, not only got his ass royally kicked uh, by all of the instructors, but lost his house, lost his job. I'm not sure why charges weren't pressed. Uh, I'm I'm, not, I'm really not sure. Uh, but I was just, I, I, there was nothing I could do. And I was completely, I felt completely powerless and devastated. And no one wanted to speak with me again. No one from that entire place. And um, it that was crushing because it was the only connection that I'd ever really made. And, um, so what I basically learned, why would they punish you? Because I was trouble. I was now labeled as trouble, you know? Um, and, um, yeah, it it really sucked, you know, because, um, I really cared for these people, but they were just, I was just, I was branded. And, um, and, uh, and I didn't hear anything for, for years. Uh, a couple of years went by. And then I got, uh, my mother came up to me with a phone one night and said, you better, you better not fucking lie to them. And I said, who? And I, I answered the phone and it was the California Highway Police. And this, the police were calling to confirm that this guy had molested me. And I was like, what? whoa, what's going on here? And, and he was applying for a, a California Highway Police job. So apparently it's somewhere in the books, you know, um, and then I felt like I had ruined his life twice. I mean, it was like re-traumatizing, you know, and nowhere in there was there really support for me. You know, it was kind of like, I'm trying to make sure that everyone else is fine. So, um. You know, and I tell these stories, and I don't want to sound like a super victim, you know, because I don't really feel like a victim anymore. But it does sound kind of shitty these things when I when I talk about how.
0: Yeah, it's like nobody ever took that little twelve-year-old girl aside and said, you know, let's talk about what you're feeling. Let's yeah. Let's talk about you know how desperately you want attention, and let's show her that there are healthy ways for a twelve-year-old girl to get attention. Let's see that she gets has an outlet for her feelings and her creativities and 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 her desires, so that she doesn't have to go confuse an adult who is is probably as confused and as fucked up as she is
2: well i think what it did was just set this perfect template of like okay so from now on my sexuality and my dating is going to be secret um i'm not going to tell anyone um they're going to continue to be older cuz i'm going to try and relive this this um this situation and make it work out for me you know um but um also reliving the situation of my father sending me away like changing that fixing that like pick me instead of my stepmother you know like so i mean just this this deep template being set down and um and then the second part of the story is um you know, after seven, flash forward. You know, I'm 28 years old and um, in San Francisco because I'm applying to graduate schools for therapy, uh, marriage and family therapy, and uh, I'm with my aunts, a couple of my aunts who, you know, over my adult hood, and they've they've become my real core, you know, uh, of family, and we're in a San Francisco supermarket. And uh, I walk in and I turn my head to the right and I see the back of this man's head. And there is a scar on it and the shape of the head and the shape of the hair. And I realize it's the the man, the, the karate guy that I was involved with when I, when I was 12.
0: And that phrase involved with makes me so... Want to find a different phrase than that
2: I know I know, I know because well, the thing is if I say the man that molested me I know. I'm immediately a victim um he takes a hundred percent of the blame, and um you know and, and the truth is that I fully believe that I had a part in it I don't believe it was a a bigger part I don't believe that you know um i I believe that I was in it was an involvement
0: and and While I'm sorry that you had to go through all of this stuff, I'm so glad that you could share this story with us because I stress many times on the podcast, most of the stuff that fucks us up is stuff that's in a gray area Mm -hmm. that can't be black and Mm -hmm. white. And most of our life is spent trying to sort through that gray area, wanting to know where the truth is, wanting some type of Catharsis, And sometimes it's really hard with stuff that's in the gray area. And this is a perfect mm-hmm. example where it's.
2: Well, I don't think it's socially acceptable to say that I had a part in it, you know, and I think that it really rubs people the wrong way when I say that, you know, I was fully aware of what I was doing. And, you know, the truth is he still had the responsibility of stopping the situation. But
0: I I, I, And I have to say, Jess, I don't think you were fully aware of what you were doing. I think you were fully aware of the game you were playing. Right. But you weren't aware of the repercussions of the game you were playing.
2: Okay. That's that's a good clarification. I, I agree with that clarification. Yeah. But, um, yeah, you know, I mean, I think that, you know, To become a full victim is to be able to not be able to get out of it, you know, not be able to work through the issue. Um, And I'm not a full victim, you know, and um, and I felt awful about what happened to him, you know, and I I still do to a certain I I don't feel um, that awful, but I feel, you know, I feel sad for him. So, so, okay, back to the story. So I see uh, the back of his head and I, I know immediately it's him immediately like my whole body froze right there next to the vegetables like just absolutely and i thought I you
0: were excited to see that he now had a brown belt
2: <laughs> exactly he was about to get a brown belt um he uh, it was it was great it was so out of a movie you know like it was so unfathomable that that the the odds
0: what did your body feel when you when you saw that
2: it completely seized up. I couldn't speak. Um, I, you know, I, my blood went cold. Like my whole body got really, really cold. You know, I got dizzy. Um, everything slowed down. Um, and, um, You know,
0: and at this point, had you done any work? Oh yeah. Okay, so you knew that this was had been a sick relationship.
2: Oh yeah. Okay. I I mean, this was this was you you, talked
0: about it in therapy for years. At this point, okay.
2: We had fully processed through it. You know, I had been trying to find him over you know the last fifteen years. You know, and with, with to no avail, this guy is not on the map.
0: Trying to find him for what reason?
2: Oh, well, at first I wanted to find him to reconcile, you know, and get back together when I was younger, 15, 16. Then I wanted to call him to, to curse him out and punch him in the face, and what would I say, and fuck you. And and then I was just like, well, it is what it is, and I, we're all forgiven, you know? And then I was at the point where it doesn't fucking matter anymore, you know? Like, y- this happened, um, it's, it's what it is, you know? And that's when I ran into him, you know, and... um so my, my, I turned to my aunt and I said, I, "I I I don't know what to do. I don't. That's him. That's him. That's him." She's like, "Who? It's who?" And I was like, "That's him. That's the guy. That's the guy. The karate guy." And uh, she's like, "Well, what do you want to do?" And I said, "I don't know. I don't know. You know." And I'm just standing Thank there. Thank God you had your aunt there. Oh my God! It was the perfect. It was like I, I you know, these cosmic things that happen sometimes. You know, and and. I mean, if anyone in the world were to, were to be standing next to me, you know, to support me, it was her, and um, and so she said, "Well, do you want to go or do you want to stay?" And I sat there. I just stood there, and I thought, "Let's do it. Let's just, you know." And I, I don't need to, you know, I, I, I don't know. And so there were like ten aisles. There were ten aisles, and he was in, you know, checking out in like number two or something like that, and my other aunt. Out of all the aisles was in his aisle and i said well i guess i'm going you know like so i i walked up and i sat i stood right next to her and i looked at this guy and he looked exactly the same except a little bit old well a few years older pudgier you know um and i just i hadn't seen his face in so long you know and all these things were going through my head. Do I scream? Do I yell? Do I tell everyone in the store what he did to me? You know, like, do I forgive him on the spot? Like, what do I do? And so um, his name tag, it, it, it was him, you know, and uh, I looked at oh, he, him.
0: he was working at the store. He
2: was the checker-outer, oh. you know, and uh, is there, that's not the name for that. Uh, bagger? Back, bagger, no. Or was,
0: the, the cashier. Cashier, uh-huh. yes. He
2: was the cashier, and... Um, and it was his name. It was him. I couldn't fucking believe it, you know? And so I said, I said his name and he looked at me and he, he just confused. And, uh, and I said, it's Jess. And he stopped. He was like, he was pulling, uh, like pushing a, a, an item over the scanner and he just stopped his hand mid push And looked at me and his eyes rolled, like got really, really wide and rolled like in the back of his head. And then he just put his head down and kept checking and said nothing. Like said nothing. And just kept doing his job. And I looked at him and I realized that, I realized many things. I realized I have no idea who this guy is, what he's been through, what he's capable of. He may get violent. He may not. He may, you know, who knows what this guy's going to do. I also thought, it doesn't matter. I've worked through it. I've worked through it. Like, I can hold whatever um, response he has, you know? And and I just, we took the groceries and left. And I walked outside, and of course, I had a total meltdown, you know? And my other aunt was like, what the fuck just went on? You know, like...
0: Um, oh, there was two aunts there with you? Yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Rondon, Deborah, and uh, yeah, I just melted. I melted down. I couldn't believe it, and it was such. It was like one of the biggest gifts I've ever had in my life because I was able to. I had the opportunity to do whatever I wanted. I had all the control, you know, because he's working for me. He's my my scanner, you know, and and uh, and you can
0: out him right there. If I you could want. out
2: him. I could do whatever I wanted, and it it. Just what was it going to do? You know, what was, what, what, what good was that going to do? You know, uh, I wouldn't be who I am if all of this, I'm not thanking him for, you know, molesting me. I, I'm, but it is who I am, you know, and he's just a piece of my life. And, um, it was, I, I just, it was such a gift that I, I'm, I feel so lucky to have that closure, you know? And that I didn't have to scream and yell because I'm in a place where I could just hold my stance, and it was it was a miracle.
0: It's kind of like a little a, a little gentle turtle just floated down on a little parachute right <laughs> at your feet, <laughs> like a gift, you know?
2: Yeah, that guy's a turtle. Um, yeah, it was it was it, it was unreal. It was unreal.
0: The first time that I really felt a connection to you, we were in our support group and your aunt came with you. Do you remember that night? Mm -hmm. Do you remember what you said? Uh... Because I was so touched by it. You talked about what you put people through when you were a kid. Oh,
2: God, yeah. Oh, I was so awful to her. I mean, I was in so much pain, you know? I was in so much pain at, at 10, 11 years old. And when I was 10, um, she offered to, to house me for a summer while I went to a theater camp in, in her uh, town of Carmel. And uh, I was living in San Francisco, and my parents were like, fine, take her, you know? Hmm. And um, And I mean, I was just... I was such a... a an angry child, you know? Um, I, uh, you know, I, I was snappy and, um, I would, I would, I, I liken it to biting like a dog. Like, just don't, if you get fucking close to me, I will bite your head off, you know? Um, nothing was good enough, you know? Uh, I didn't want to be there, um, I, it's hard to put my finger on what it was. I was just a pain in the ass, you know, and, um, and I was so sad. And, um, and at the end of that summer, I realized that as angry and miserable as I was, she was kind to me the whole time. She had never expected anything of me, you know, um, for me to act a certain way or to, I could keep my room messy. I could do whatever I wanted, you know, but within reason. And, um, she was showing me without knowing it, what a parent, um, is supposed to show is supposed to give to the child, you know, this containment of you're going to be okay. If you abide by what keeps you safe, you know, other than that, have at, You know, um, I went back home to San Francisco and realized when I, the stark difference when I got back home and there were, there was no rules. There were no rules. There was no containment. It was chaos. And, um, I felt like I was just being, I was just existing. And so I wrote her a letter and thanked her. And then she invited me back you know, the next, the next summer, as crazy as I was, as angry as I was, she still loved me, you know, and still wanted to be around me. And it was that unconditional love that I just, that next summer I was an angel, you know, I, I loved her, you know, like I, we became inseparable and, um, and we really did. We we really bonded. And then when I turned 18 and I was living in New Orleans, I came out to, uh, what 21, I came to live with uh, her.
0: The the love that I saw between the two of you that night and that support group, I had tears rolling down my face. Yeah. And I went up to her afterwards and I said, I know you don't know me, but I need to hug you because that <laughs> love that you showed for that little girl. Yeah is one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard of in, in my life. And I suppose in many ways it was what I had wished somebody had shown me when I was, you know, 11 years old, but seeing how it was like a fucking life preserver that she threw to you.
2: She did. It was, um, I, yeah.
0: And that you were able to thank her for it, that you could see Mm -hmm. how important it was to you and to, and to be able to thank her for that was just so beautiful.
2: I was so desperate for, I had no idea what love even looked like. To me, it looked like a chess game. You know, it looked like you're going to do this for me and then I'm going to do this for you. And it's it's based on conditions. It's based on rules. And if you don't follow it, you get nothing. You know, and um, with her, it was all that was out the window. It was just like, it's just here. I just I just got this love and I'm just going to give it to you and and
0: I love you exactly as you are. You don't need to do anything for me to love you.
2: It took it took at least 10 years for me to even believe it. It took 10 years for me to um believe that she wasn't going anywhere. You know, I mean that's how that's how hurt I was, you know. Um but I knew somewhere in my body I knew that she was safe and to just hold on. You know, and and she she was a life preserver. She's one of the reasons I feel like I didn't not that it's, you know, um, not that I hate to say, I I didn't make the, some of the choices my sister did, you know, some of the choices my brother has made, you know, like, um, I I really feel like she, she just showed me this unconditional love that, that they didn't really get to have.
0: And, And the thing that I, I'd like to say to any parents out there, you know, it, seems obvious to me that she must be so comfortable in her own skin Mm. to be able to let that stuff roll off her back, you know, a a child acting out and all that other stuff, and to be able to love that child unconditionally. And am am I wrong there or no? Well,
2: I think that, you know, she didn't have any kids of her own, and I think that a lot of parents, you know, working with parents, um, they're exhausted, you know? So for them to be able to just have that unlimited, you know, amount of patience and and
0: it's she had a reservoir when you came to visit her yeah
2: totally i mean she got me at 11 you know raising children all you're doing is saying no you know and it's really tough i think i just fucking lucked out you Mm -hmm. know
0: well the the thing that strikes me is um that i wanted to say was any parents out there if you want to be a better parent and you want to have more patience with your kid the more comfortable you can be in your own skin i think the larger your reservoir of patience is going to be for your kids and i could be wrong because i'm not a parent but that's just what struck me when i saw her there she just seemed like a really peaceful kind of centered hmm. um person she just seemed very just kind of peaceful and centered and i could be wrong she could be a nut job
2: <laughs> no she's not she's not a nut job um she's a hippie yeah, yeah no. <laughs> if you want to be a good parent, be a hippie. <laughs> uh, no, you know it's it's true. The good
0: kind of hippie, not the annoying kind of not, hippie. Not
2: not the LL L. bean hippie. You know, I I don't. I'm afraid to have kids, even though you know I I will. Um, you know, I wanted to make sure that I did as much work as possible on myself, because it is so easy and inevitable to transmit whatever uh issues you have to your children if they're not worked through
0: yes that's that's what i was trying to say that's what i was trying to say what you so eloquently said right. so so let's do our uh our love list would would you uh you want to go first or you want me to
2: okay um i love my life and how it's going so far turning out and the gifts of uh second and third chances
0: uh, I love when my dog makes a ridiculously loud, lewd noise <laughs> licking her junk.
2: <laughs> Gross. Um I love, I actually love it when uh, my cat Charlie runs down the hallway and slides on his butt and hits the wall. Uh,
0: I love when a new solar light that I installed works and I feel handy and earth conscious.
2: I love that I can find the same kind of... Um, Support uh, wherever I go. I just kind of gravitate towards it.
0: Uh, I love when I confide in a friend and they cry for what I'm going through.
2: Um, I love my fiancé and that I ended up with the nice guy.
0: I love when a friend confides in me and I know that they know I feel them.
2: I love my accomplishments.
0: Uh, I love when a woman has a more shame-inducing fantasy than I do.
2: (laughs) I love being able to say I'm sorry and thank you.
0: Uh, I love when Peter Sellers in the Pink Panther, I forget which Pink Panther movie it is, where he plants the phone bug and uh, winds up gluing himself to a seat, and you really believe that he actually did it.
2: I love that I live next door to two different churches and across the street from a school.
0: Uh, I love all the scenes in broadcast news between Albert Brooks and Holly Hunter.
2: I love that um, I have nothing else to say I love.
0: Uh I'm then i going to do a couple more. I love when I watch broadcast news and feel like I'm not the only one who is incredibly sad and disappointed by TV journalism and realize maybe it's okay to laugh about it sometimes. Well, Jess, I love you. Uh, I'm, I'm so glad you could come by and, uh, (laughs) and share your, uh, your story with us. And, uh, I'm really excited for this, this next phase of your life with, uh, I got to meet your, your fiance and he seems like a great guy. And, uh, Lots of love.
2: Thank you, and I really want to thank you for having the podcast for people because I think it's a rarity, and um, um, it's a very good thing to do.
0: Thanks. It's my pleasure. Mm-hmm. Many thanks to my my uh, buddy, Jess. What a sweetheart. Um, what did I want to say? Before we take it out with uh, an email and a uh, survey or two, I wanted to remind you again of the URL for that um, survey to take to help uh, potential sponsors know um, better the relationship that uh, you and I have as lovers, as internet lovers, our torrid early Friday morning. Uh, <laughs> I can't even finish this riff. It's just it's half-assed right out of the gate. Um the URL to take that survey. You can either you can go to the Mental Pod website and uh, just click on surveys and you'll see there at there right at the top. But I'm also going to give you this incredibly long, complicated URL, themidroll.com slash survey slash And um, I want to give a hug out to um, somebody that filled a survey out called Grubbs Grady. Just giving you a big hug. Big, big hug um thinking about you there are a couple of different ways to support this podcast if you so choose uh you can support it financially by going to PayPal um I'm sorry going to our website mentalpod.com and uh, making a one time PayPal donation or my favorite a recurring monthly donation God bless you, and thank you, those of you that have signed up to be monthly uh, monthly donors. I really appreciate it. You can also support us by using our Amazon search portal. It's there on the homepage, right-hand side, about halfway down. And that way, when you buy something uh, at Amazon through that portal, uh, Amazon gives us a couple nickels. doesn't cost you anything. And you can support the show uh, non-financially by going to iTunes and giving us a good rating, writing something nice about the show if you feel that that is the case and you can also help us by spreading the word through social media. Really appreciate the people that have been stepping up and uh, and doing that. And you can also volunteer to uh transcribe episodes. We've been uh having uh um, some people step up lately. Takes about a full day to transcribe one of these cuz I, I like to run my mouth and say a lot of right and uh-huh, which has got to be so fucking annoying for somebody transcribing that they have to change the name of the person speaking just because I decide to go uh-huh. Maybe they could edit it out. I don't know. Maybe I'm beating myself up. Let's get to an email. Let's let somebody else beat themselves up. This is uh, an email I got from a listener named Nissa. I think I'm pronouncing her name correctly. Uh, She writes, Hey, uh, hey Paul, I had an interesting moment today and thought of you. Uh, I've been uh, crushing on this guy I think slash fear that he does not feel the same way um, in spite of the only physical stuff making out between us, uh, which was instigated by him. But I got panicky and was all like, oh, we should just be friends because I am a dork and a little terrified of intimacy. Anyway, he is a performer, a comedian, and I was going to a gig that he was at. I wrote him and told him that I would be attending. Um, I then thought, and this is real is real in spite of the crazy uh, I'm about to unload, that he would cancel his headlining position in order to not see me. Yep, I am that powerful, in my mind. Anyway, he did not. Uh... Anyway, he did not. Uh, I saw him after the show, and all was cool and friendly. I then had a moment where I thought, wow, my negative thinking is just wrong. I, knew, I know intellectually that that's true. My therapist tells me so, haha. But it suddenly hit me at my emotional core how incorrect I can be in my narcissism. At the same event, I met up with a girl whom I had tried to start a friendship with but had gone nowhere. She told me about how she wanted to text but was afraid that it had been too long and that I would think she was weird. I told her that was crazy and that I did the exact same thing with not writing her. We're going out for coffee soon. I may still not know where I stand with the guy or with any of my friends as I constantly question how anyone could or does like me, but I had this epiphany and wanted to share. Everybody is so afraid of rejection, and maybe if you just put yourself out there, it really will be worth it because at least you won't be living through fear. Even though it's scary, I sort of just feel like, fuck it. Let's just do it. Thank you so much for the podcast. Well, thank you so much. Nissa for that that awesome and uh poignant email. I heartily agree, man. Living from I've lived for years from a place of fear and it is it is just so fucked. It is so fucked. Such bad information. Uh, this next thing I want to read is from the Shaman's Secret survey, filled out by a guy named Terry. He's in his forties. He's straight. Um but loves beautiful transsexuals. He uh, was raised in an environment that was totally chaotic, father raging, uh, abusive alcoholic. Deepest, darkest thoughts, he writes, oh, he'd never been sexually abused. Deepest, darkest thoughts. Uh, I'm a male with a potent fetish for women in high heels or leather boots. The, f- the fantasy smell of the leather and foot together is a potent combination for me. Beautiful women only. I see them in stores, at work, walking, but no, I can't act on my passion. I am ashamed because I put emphasis on the shoes rather than the person. Deepest Darkest Secrets. I am divorced 47-year-old male who has been visiting transsexual escorts for the last decade. I haven't had straight intercourse or dated anyone since 2001. I am also completely addicted to my shoe fetish. Beautiful women in high heels. I masturbate to them on TV every morning during news and talk shows, sometimes for hours. On a bad day, I resort back to the old standby, internet porn of all types. Since I was 13, I have masturbated to the TV high heel women virtually every day of my life. Um, Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. He writes, receiving oral sex from a beautiful woman while smelling the leather of her high heels. Uh, Would you ever consider telling a partner or close friend? He writes, I've been single for 11 years. I'm now 47, but introduced shoe fetish to every wife and girlfriend. Not a good idea, because I keep wanting it every time, and they lost interest. Do these secrets and thoughts generate any particular feelings? Towards yourself, he writes, I feel that I am broken, unfixable. I am so afraid of intimacy. Do you have any comments or suggestions to make the podcast better? Um I would like to hear more about sexual fetishes. Um I believe they can provide a great clue uh about our problems. Thank you for filling that out Terry and I'm just sending some love your way man. Don't beat yourself up. You're lovable. We all. We all have skeletons in our closet, parts about ourselves that we struggle with. And um I'd, I'd reach out for some type of help and see see what what is possible to change and if you want to change it because uh, I think I don't know I don't know enough about about the um fetish addictions to to weigh in fully on that but um yeah yeah that was a weird trail off. Are you enjoying this uncomfortable silence? It's pretty nice. Would you care to check out a library book? All right. End of bit. This is from the Happy Moments survey filled out by a woman uh, who gives her full name. So I'm going to read it. Shauna Sims. She is... um, How old is she? She's in her 20s. And her happy moment... uh, Most of the moments that people fill out are... Are sublime and kind of really subtle, and those are my favorite ones. This one's a little bigger than that, but um, I just loved it. It was, it just, um, it captivated me. She writes The day I got to fly in the backseat of a T 38, a trainer jet used in the Air Force capable of supersonic speeds. A small two seater, from the underbelly, the T 38 somewhat resembles a shark darting across the sky. We flew out as a two-ship flight, and once we crossed the departure end of the runway, turned our noses straight up and climbed to 10,000 feet. The pilots then playfully chased each other, intermittently getting close and drifting apart. We then broke off from each other, and that is when things got intense. The pilot let me take control of the jet and climb, dive, turn, barrel roll, pretty much whatever I wanted. Holy fuck, that is amazing. In that moment, I owned the sky. We pulled 5.3 Gs. That means I felt what 5.3 times the weight of gravity felt like. And we went to 0.99 Mach. To withstand that many Gs on your body and not pass out, you must tense your abs all the way down to your toes and breathe in a funny way called hooking. Um, I was one with the jet. I have never been through any formal flight. I've added way too much emphasis for that. <laughs> It was, I don't know what I thought was around the corner. Then I had to add uh, fucking gravitas to that. Um, I have never been through any formal flight training, but I've worked in aviation for a few years and was able to keep up with the air traffic control instructions, our altitude and airspeed, as well as our pitch and bank. I was completely absorbed in what it took to keep flying that jet. It was a beautiful feeling the most freedom I've ever experienced. I was riding such an adrenaline high that when I landed, in that moment, I decided I would get my pilot's license when the circumstances were right. I changed out of the flight suit, put on some makeup, and got the fuck out of Dodge. My destination was Tulsa in a concert with my favorite all-time band, Incubus. Seeing them was amazing. I sang along, sang along to all the songs, not knowing one person around me. Needless to say, you'd think... I'd be so tired, I would have gone back to my hotel room. Nope, I went to the bar, made some friends. I'll never remember, and just as I was about to leave, the DJ and his entourage show up at the bar. I shook his hand and said, Your music has been the theme songs to my life. Thank you. He graciously nodded his head, then embraced me for a picture. I don't think that day could have worked out any better. What a fucking amazing day. I'm a little jealous, actually. I'm going to see. If I'm a, am I actually, now I'm feeling spiteful towards you, and I'm going to see if I can make sure that you never get your pilot's license and that you are never able to attend an Incubus concert. No, you know what? I'll give you a pass. I'll give you a pass. Well, I think, what are we at? Like the 100-minute 100, 100 mark? I'm getting more comfortable with the shows being, being longer. Thank you for the feedback from those of you that uh, not only don't mind the longer shows, but, but enjoy them. Um, thank you for all the feedback that you guys give me. That um, means a lot to me. And um, thank you for listening. And to anybody who's out there struggling, your feelings will never kill you. But running from your feelings might. Everybody gets overwhelmed. Everybody feels like, Oh, how the fuck can I go on? This is just... Well, I don't know about everybody. A lot of people. So just know that you're not alone. Not alone at all. And thanks for listening. Everybody
1: I know is bizarrely beautiful. Everybody up up I know is weird wit. bizarrely beautifully, fucked up, is weird bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way.